0: Hello and welcome to the latest funds fan podcast, brought to you by Interactive Investor. I'm Andy Pitts, an independent consultant for Interactive Investor, but in a former life I was the editor of Money Observer from 1998 to 2015. I'm in the host's chair for this episode, and as usual, I'm joined by Kyle Caldwell, Interactive Investor's Collective's editor. Later on in the podcast, I talk to Simon Gergel, manager of the Merchants Investment Trust, In the midst of the dividend drought, the historic yield on this income-focused trust has shot up to an eye-watering 8%, so we've got plenty to discuss. As usual, the podcast will end with Theodore Dilov, fund analyst at interactive investor, who's going to pick out one of the selections from Interactive Investors' Super 60 list of rated investments. But to kick off, let's take a look at the latest news and developments in the fund management world. Kyle a trio of trusts have recently announced their intention to launch and they're all backing Britain. yes that's
1: correct andy the quickest out of the blocks in early september in announcing their intention to launch was the telworth british recovery and growth trust which is aiming to raise 100 million at the helm of this trust will be paul marriage john warren and johnny smith of telworth investments marriage and warren a former staff or managers at Casanova Capital, and then followed on to Schroeder's, and where they ran UK smaller companies and long short strategies. The three types of businesses this best of British trust is going to focus on are British global leaders, which is defined as UK companies well positioned in global markets, British technology, which is defined as UK firms with high levels of intellectual property, and finally British recovery which, um, as the name implies, is uh, UK companies that are undergoing significant strategic change at the moment, which the managers believe are um, undervalued relative to their intrinsic value.
0: Sounds interesting, but hot on its its heels, two other trusts last week in late September also made announcements.
1: Yes, that's right. First off was the uh, Buffetology smaller companies investment trust and um, this trust being slated for launch it's also looking to raise a hundred million and it'll be managed by keith ashworth lord who is manager of the cfp sdl uk Buffetology fund which is um one of Interact investors super 60 funds this new trust if it gets off the ground will follow the same business perspective investing approach In which, amongst other things, Ashworth Laws looks for businesses with an enduring franchise that have pricing power and an economic moat. The main differentiator between this new trust and the existing open-ended fund is that it will focus purely on smaller companies. And it says in its uh, prospectus that it will focus on those with a market capitalization of less than 500 million. And finally, completing the trio, Schroeder's is intending to launch the Schroeder British Opportunities Trust. The Trust's pitch, if you like, is that it will invest in the future growth of British businesses, both public and private, um, and Schroethers points out that um, at the moment, British businesses need funding now more than ever to ensure their growth through this pandemic and beyond that. The trust, um, which is seeking to raise a bit more than the other two, £250 million, will focus on small and medium-sized UK companies with sustainable business models. It'll be managed by Rory Bateman, who is head of equities at Schroders, and Tim Creed, who is head of UK and European private equity.
0: So Carl, these proposed launches come at a time when UK private investors have been giving their home market the cold shoulder. And according to data from the fund flow index run by global funds network, Calistone, a net £1.2 billion flooded out of UK-focused equity funds between June and August. Now, that's the worst showing its index has ever recorded. And the outflows over the period even dwarf those seen in the aftermath of the UK referendum on EU membership. So, Kyle, what are your thoughts? Is now a good time to be launching a UK-focused investment trust?
1: Well, the fact that three respective management teams have come up with ultimately similar ideas to back um, UK PLC, uh, particularly the smaller names, um, is an indication that there is a lot of value there in the market. I think the value is already evident. A lot of UK retail investors have been shying away from the UK market for a good while now. And international investors have been shying away for an even longer period. When you look at the existing UK trusts that are available, there are nine that that you can class as UK growth. And um, all of them are trading on discounts and have been for a while now. Three of them are trading on discounts in excess of 15%, which are Henderson uh, Opportunities, Keystone and Artemis Alpha Trust, and added to that, if you look at UK smaller company trusts, you know, if you look at that sector, the average trust is trading on a discount of just over 10%. An argument could be made that um, rather than considering one of these new proposed trust launches, there are already existing trusts with, um, you know, some have got good good long-term track records that are available on a discount. And surely if you're going to buy into a cheap market, surely it's more prudent to buy even cheaper if you can. Another point that um wanted to make is that in recent years, it's, um, it's become very hard for investment trusts to launch with a sizeable amount of assets of at least 100 million, unless you've got a strong reputation um, and Smithson investment trust, which launched a couple of years ago springs to mind, or you're investing in a specialist asset. You know, the last couple of years, we've seen um, a couple of renewable energy infrastructure trusts launch. I would be surprised if all three launch with the amount of assets that they are targeting, particularly given they are competing with one another for investors' cash. I think if they were launching on their own, it would be difficult. But now that they've got um, two other trusts for company, I, w- I would be surprised if they hit, their, if all three hit their fundraising targets.
0: Well, thanks, Carl. And of course, we'll keep listeners to the podcast posted in the coming weeks on developments in regards to whether the three trusts are successful or not, in their fundraising efforts. For the next part of the podcast, I'm joined by Simon Gurgle, Manager of the Merchants Investment Trust. Merchants mainly invests in higher yielding large UK companies. Does the current environment following the huge number of dividend cuts represent the trickiest period of your career?
2: It's certainly up there. It's been one of the most difficult for two reasons. One is the speed of change of the environment from the beginning of the year when we came in, where we were seeing a bit of a recovery in the economy after the general election result, to a sudden change in the outlook uh, where many of us are having to work from home and so on. Quite a, a dramatic change, which which is quite hard to deal with in, when stock markets are moving violently. But I think the other thing that's quite extreme, which we have, I've only seen once before, is this polarisation between High, 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 growth and, and high and value companies, and that level of uh, dispersion across the market, we haven't really seen since the TMT bubble, and that was another very challenging time for a, for an investor with a value discipline, where you're trying to think about the price you pay for assets. It was difficult in that environment, and it's been difficult this year as well.
0: No, sure, and it seems that um, prior to this year, it seemed that. Every year for the past five years or so, marked a new record for dividend payments by UK companies. Do you think income investors need to reset their own expectations in response to various companies that have now reset their dividends to lower but more sustainable levels? I think it's a fair question. I think a number of big
2: companies in particular have reset their dividends to lower levels. The, the most obvious one at the end are the energy companies. Which have, which have cut their payouts and are not going to go back anytime soon to where they were before. But it's not just the energy companies. We've seen that for a reasonable number, shall we say, of medium to large companies. I think there's, it's partly to do with the effects, direct effects of the pandemic, but I think there's also an attitude of a bit more caution, of wanting slightly stronger balance sheets from, from boards of directors. I think given the pace of change and the severity of the downturn associated with the pandemic, I think boards are just looking a bit more cautiously in, in life, and if you like, taking advantage of the opportunity given by the pandemic to to cut the payouts to a more to a more
0: comfortable level for the future. That in turn really raises the question of um, merchants' current yield, which is nearly hitting uh, on a on a historic basis, eight percent. Um, is this the highest the trust has ever yielded? And looking ahead, even though it's tricky to put a figure on it for 21 and 22. What sort of range would you forecast the yield to be based on the current share price?
2: Well, it's not actually the highest the trust has yielded because the yield is a function of two things, the dividend we pay out and the valuation of the shares. And the dividend has grown every year for 38 years and remains a key priority of the board to to have a progressive dividend policy. But in, in the financial crisis, because the valuations of the market and the share price fell very heavily the yield actually got to a higher level than the one we are today. If we look forward to where the yield is going to be in the future, I mean, really we're talking about the dividend level in, in terms of the uh, c- can we continue to grow the dividend every year, which has been a long-term objective. The, the good thing is we started the year with a dividend, which, which was well covered last year. So we could afford an element of dividend cuts and still afford to cover the dividend. Also the board, the, the company has a over a, or had over a year, of dividends in, in reserves and the way investment trusts work is companies can put, put away money in good times to continue top, topping up payments in more difficult times. And the board have been quite explicit in the interim results statement saying that although dividends are going to be down income is going to be down in the trust this year and, and probably next because of the pandemic, the board does have these significant dividend reserves and is prepared to use them to cover any shortfalls. So I think the board aims to smooth the dividend payments to shareholders, but it remains a key objective to continue to to pay that dividend. Whether we can or not in the medium to long term depends on a recovery in income in the market. And we do anticipate a a decent recovery next year and a more significant recovery the year after, such that uh, we will be getting closer to covering the dividend out of the income in the portfolio.
0: That's really interesting, uh, and it sort of seems that given the board's commitment to want to actually in, uh, to main, at least maintain and hopefully grow the dividend, that current yield of nearly 8% is quite reassuring, I guess.
2: Well, it, it certainly appeals to a lot of investors, and it is based on the income we're generating in the portfolio and, and hopefully a recovery in income to come from those shares, those companies that have cut their dividends back over the next couple of years as conditions return to a more normal situation. And, and we are also within the portfolio, we're not, we're not standing still. We are adding to many new companies which have high and, and potentially hopefully sustainable dividends as
0: well. So, we don't have a static portfolio. We can actually adjust the portfolio to generate more income if, if we need to. Looking at, I mean, the primary appeal of merchants really is to provide a high income with some capital growth but it does seem that the policy has led to a relatively low dividend growth of just 2.6% a year. And that's about half the average among the trust's peers in the UK equity income sector. Do you think that's a fair comparison to make? I think you should look at both the yield that the trust is is paying to
2: shareholders and the dividend growth that, that we're generating. So if you can, com- if you take a combination of the yield, which is one of the highest in the sector, with the dividend growth, I think that gives a fairer comparison. There is there is naturally a trade-off between the amount of income you can pay out any one year and the rate at which you can grow it. The more you pay out, the, the harder it is to grow because you're paying out more of your income. But so I think I think in combination we stack up well. But it, our, our dividend growth has been lower than some of the peers, but it has been above inflation for the last three to five years because inflation's been at a very low level, and that that is one of the measures the board looks at in, in the, over the long
0: term. And despite this impressive record of increasing dividends for uh, 38 consecutive years now. Um, it It is actually difficult to ignore the fact that the net asset value total return for merchants doesn't compare that well against peers and the wider UK stock market over annual periods up to well, one, three, five and seven years. Why is that? And are there compelling reasons why that situation might change in the near future, Simon? One of the things about performance
2: measurement it depends totally when you measured it, if you'd measured us at the beginning of this financial year or the beginning of this calendar year, even our performance was actually pretty good amongst our peer group. we had a very strong um, performance last, last year, but, but over a number of years as well. What's happened this year is we've seen two effects, firstly, the stock market has fallen significantly and we have, finan- we have, we have more financial gearing than most trusts, which means when markets go down, we tend to fall a bit more than average. When markets recover, we tend to do a bit better. And that has hurt us this year. And the other thing is there's been a very marked shift away from value type investments this year, which is companies where where you're investing based on the, the valuation of the businesses rather than just the growth prospects. The market has moved very firmly away from value investing in the last six to seven months, which happens every now and then. And that has meant that we've underperformed in the, in the short term, even though our long-term numbers are actually quite good. So, from you, you asked if there's a potential for that to recover. Absolutely. The, the dispersion of valuations in the market is as wide as we've seen in 45 years. The opportunity for our type of companies are, to, make, to make money for shareholders are actually, is actually very, um, very high at the moment. We see an, a large number of opportunities to buy really decent businesses at, at really attractive long-term valuations. And so I think there's every, every opportunity we can perform very strongly going forward from here.
0: I think those are all fair points to make, Simon. And and as you say, the stock market has been very polarized for some time now. And there's quite a large gap between perceived quality and growth companies and many of the other companies that um, I presume you're targeting. Which stocks and sectors have you been buying or adding to recently on the grounds of valuations being incredibly cheap?
2: There's a few areas. So, One thing we're trying to do is is look out for companies that don't have structural pressure. So by structural pressure, it might mean that the internet, for example, is is affecting their industry. So one one area we like is house building, where there's a long term structural demand. Um, And actually, housing markets in the UK have been pretty substituted for a number of years. And we're starting to see a recovery come through, perhaps exacerbated by people working from home and wanting to work in a better environment. So we've been investing in house builders, in companies, in the furniture area and, and housing related areas, which are generally pretty cheap, actually, despite being good businesses and, and not having any structural concerns, in fact, arguably structural advantages. Another area, other end of the spectrum, I suppose, is the more defensive businesses, which gives some res- resilience in the in a difficult economy, areas like telecommunications and tobacco, which are, again, extremely modestly valued compared to their history, and yet have strong cash flows and, and generally good dividend payments. And and a third area we've been switching within the portfolio is we've been taking some money out of the mining sector, which has been a very strong performer and and moving some of that into the energy sector, where we are seeing two things. One is, one is companies are very depressed in terms of their valuations with with the scope to recovery, to recover, but also you're seeing the big oil companies start to embrace the energy transition, talk about how they're going to move their business progressively into the renewable energy area. And we see a lot lot of opportunity for them to both improve their returns financially, but also improve the the structural opportunity in the business as they transition the business over over many years in the future. So that's just three areas we've been looking at.
0: Well, best of luck uh, in in the medium term, Simon, with merchants. And thank you very much for those insights. And thanks for talking to us. Thank you, Andy, for the opportunity. For the final part of the podcast, I'm joined by Theodore Dilov, Fund Analyst at Interactive Investor. Theodore, which Super 60 rated investment have you picked?
3: Hi Andy. For today's edition, I have picked Mobius Investment Trust, which was recently added to our Super 60 rated list of investments. It is run by the highly regarded managers Mark Mobius and Carlos Hardenberg, who have long and very successful track record of running similar emerging market mandates.
0: So what does it invest in, in, in the emerging markets?
3: The trust has a broad investable universe and provides exposure to both emerging markets, smaller companies, and frontier markets. The team seeks to identify resilient business models that are uh, mispriced by the market. In addition, uh, the trust differentiates itself from the majority of rival trust by incorporating environmental, social, and governance, all the so-called ESG criteria into their investment philosophy. Taking an activist approach of corporate governance, the managers look to team up with businesses that are open to positive change. In theory, by making ESG improvements, firms are likely to improve their operational and financial performance as well.
0: So that sort of sounds quite specialized already, but is there anything else that um, makes it stand out to you at all?
3: Yeah, uh, although the trust was launched just two years ago, its managers have a successful track record of delivering above market returns. So, since the inception of the trust on the 1st of October 2018, it has delivered a total return of 8.2% compared to just 1.5% for the MSCI Emerging Markets Small Cap Index. Looking at the manager's previous track record, Mark Mobius, the industry veteran who used to manage the Templeton Emerging Markets Small Companies Fund, achieved a total return of 338% compared to 234% for the MSCI Emerging Markets Small Cap Index uh, between March 2009 and March 2017. So definitely a performance uh, is one that that stands out.
0: Yeah, that's pretty good, isn't it? What sort of investors do you think it will particularly suit, Theodore?
3: The Trust provides exposure to exciting high growth opportunities in the emerging and frontier market space. Along with the potential for market beating returns over the long term, the strategy also offers an attractive diversification benefits. However, investors should be aware that this trust is a high risk due to its smaller company bias, and its return profile could significantly deviate from the broader market. Therefore, it should be best utilized as a satellite holding to complement the core holdings in, in a diversified portfolio.
0: Thanks for that, Theodore. That's all for this episode. We'll We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thanks for tuning in.